I'm Sarah Heiner, President of Bottomline Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. I'm thrilled to be talking today to Dr. David Shear, a physician, author, and inventor. He's the lead author of Dr. David Shear's Hospital Survival Guide, 100 plus ways to make your hospital stay safe and comfortable. He's a member of Leading Physicians of the World and a multi-time winner of HealthTap's Leading Anesthesiologists Award. Dr. Shear practices anesthesiology in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., and he's held two U.S. patents in the fields of critical care medicine and telecommunications. He's a tireless advocate for hospitalized patients and believes that individual responsibility and not government intervention is the key to improving the general health and well-being of all Americans. Dr. Shear is also the author of one of Bottom Line's most popular blogs entitled, What Your Doctor Isn't Telling You. You can read and subscribe to his blog at bottomlineinc.com. So David, it's always great to talk to you. Thank you for being here. Great to be here. All right, so we're doing a few different blog uh, podcasts. We're talking on different topics today. And what I wanted to talk to you about, you and I have talked a lot about natural medicine and complementary medicine. And one thing that nobody ever talks about is what allopathic medicine, what mainstream medicine, what those doctors are taught philosophically and that they need to, patients need to understand the mindset that doctors have when they come into the treatment room or to the examining room. And we, you and I were talking, we thought that was a really important thing that people should understand because they have no clue in general. That's true. And unfortunately, at least when I was in medical school, they never really talked about the distinction you're referring to. Um, I'm hoping now that students are getting more of a education about what really allopathic medicine means and, and its implications for taking care of patients. But um, I, I think the general public and most physicians never even really think about the type of medical philosophy that they're practicing. So that's a little so, frightening that they're not given a philosophical, I'll call it mission statement, right? So they all get told the Hippocratic Oath, right? First do no harm. Right. But this is, so let me read you and tell me if this is fair. Um, this is a definition of allopathic medicine that I got off of cancer.gov. Um, a system in which medical doctors and other healthcare professionals, such as nurses, pharmacists, and therapists, treat symptoms and diseases using drugs, radiation, or surgery. Also called biomedicine, conventional medicine, mainstream medicine, orthodox medicine, and western medicine. And that summed it up pretty clearly to me and is a significant point. How about you? Um, well, I think one essential thing that they left out was that allo in allopathic means against. So th what, what really doctors are doing in allopathic medicine is they're treating against what your sign or symptom is indicating. For example, if your stomach is producing too much stomach acid and you're getting gastritis, the doctor is going to prescribe something that will combat or go against the production of stomach acid, right? And so that's why people are on protein, uh, proton pump inhibitors because it's the protons, which are uh, hydrochloric acid ions, that are being secreted in uh, many cases of gastritis. And so the inhibitor will go against the secretion of the protons. So that, well, that's, a that's a great example of what allopathic medicine is. Right. And a lot of that, that's I'll call it in, in response to, or that's the outcome of what they call reductionist medicine, where they've reduced, rather than thinking about the whole human body as a system, and right. an integrated system of parts that function as a well-oiled, complete machine, yep. that reductionist medicine 
breaks it down into its isolated parts. So in your example, your stomach hurts, we'll give you something to fix that stomach pain. Right. And, and that's exactly right. And that's, that's an area for other discussion later, because that's a fascinating topic. But there's no wonder that today we have so many specialists, because doctors are looking at one part of your body, and they're not looking at the whole human being, right? They're not looking at why your stomach is hurting you, right? They're not looking at your stomach is hurting you because you're working a 60-hour week, and your stomach is hurting you because you're going through a divorce, or your stomach is hurting you because your son is on drugs, you know? They're not looking at the whole person. They're looking at, well, stomach hurts, give medicine. Next, right? Right. So is that so now I'm sitting in the examining room and my doctor walks in. So what is going through his head? Is, is his, it, right. Well, his, what's going through his head, unfortunately, in some cases, not all, is uh, patient Smith, okay, diagnosis, stomach hurts, likely gastritis, um, follow-up. So he comes in. It would be great if your doctor saying, hey, Sarah, how you doing? Great to see you. How, how's the job going? Um, how's your daughter? I hear she's enjoying school. So listen, um, you've been stressed out or things going well at work or what's going on? A lot of times in this world of rushed patient loads, that just doesn't happen. It goes like this. Oh, Sarah, your stomach's been hurting. I understand. Well, you know, you've had gastritis before, so... We tried you on uh, Dexalent and you got a good result. Let's go with that again. And how many times have you had that experience where it's like, okay, bone broke, we fix, right? Right, exactly. In some ways, uh, it occurs to me that it's almost like a scavenger hunt when they come in, right? They're not, right. It's where can I find all the pieces of Waldo hiding in the body? Right, basically right. So if you go to a GI doc, uh, you know, he's looking for GI problems. If you go to a rheumatologist, he's looking for joint problems. If you go, I mean, you're being sent to these people for a reason because they're specialists. But, you know, whereas I'm a believer in, in some and most aspects of allopathic medicine, I think one of its huge downfalls is the fact that they're not looking at the whole human being. Right. So how do we tell, help people and patients use that system to their advantage. Um, and I know that I use it, I balance, you know, when I talk to specialists or go to allopaths, I know that I need a colonoscopy every five years. I'm on the early, my father, grandfather died of colon cancer. So, so I'm grateful for allopathic medicine and tests and surgery and all of that aspect of things for what it can do. But I keep right. in mind the role that it plays and I use it to my, you know, I, I balance that out versus, versus what I do with my naturopath. So how do we help people know how to manage in this system? Well, you know, that, that is a very big challenge because, let's face it, we live in a world that has never been busier and never more interconnected. And um, we live in a world where communication has oftentimes broken down. And we live in a world, unfortunately, as we've spoken about in other venues, where we're getting larger patient populations who are getting older and sicker. And that means busier, busier schedules for doctors and nurses and practitioners who take care of you. It, it's just common sense. It's just the way it is. It's the reality of the world. So how can we in this system of busier doctors and larger patient pools make ourselves stand out so that we can get the kind of care that will help us achieve better health? 
Well, one day is choosing your doctor carefully. I mean, we choose people who we date carefully, hopefully, and who cut our hair carefully, and who cook us our meals if we have a favorite restaurant. Um, you know, what's more important than really doctor shopping and listening to what your friends say and listening to what relatives say and reading online reviews? I mean, it's like anything else, you know, it's like a Yelp for physicians, you know. Um, that's one great way you can go ahead and try to help yourself. And people shouldn't be afraid of, I'll call it firing their doctor, that if, if they don't feel comfortable with the doctor, the doctor's not giving them the attention they need. They shouldn't be afraid to walk away and find someone else. No, they Ass really shouldn't. Assuming, right. caveat that, assuming they could find another doctor in their network, which is not always the easiest thing to do. That's right. That's a challenge. So um, you really have to put in the work to do this. It's not fun work, let me tell you. It's, yeah. uh, it's it can be boring. It can be time-consuming. It can be energy-consuming because... You know, you can't really understand who a doctor is on the phone or online. You, you have to meet the person. So uh, don't, don't think it's an easy thing because it's not. Yeah. Well, let's go back to the, the, again, I just, the philosophy, again, thinking about and understanding how the doctors are walking in the room and thinking about things. So one more question. How much pressure is put on doctors for tests to increase revenue and protect against lawsuits? Because there's you know, been a lot talked about. Well, the first part of your question in terms of to uh, increase revenue um, I don't think that that in scrupulous practices has been a problem. Certainly, there are unscrupulous practitioners who somehow benefit from uh, increased intervention. But by and large, I would have to say in my many years in the medical profession, I did not see either widespread or even significant pressure for doctors to use resources, diagnostic resources to uh, to diagnose their, your problem. That was number one. I will say it does exist. I know a doctor, he, he, ran, oh, I'm a sure it does. he ran a natural um, program as part of a hospital, wonderfully yeah. successful program, but the hospital closed it because he wasn't using their labs and their tests. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I'm, so it I'm sure it, right. I'm sure it exists. So, um, it, 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 it has been a problem, but it's not something that I've seen a widespread, uh, use of. Um, but by the same token, your doctor, you know, needs to try to understand who you are, and there is a there is a place for testing for sure. But um, you know, really, it's 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 of crucial importance to really lay eyes on your doctor and 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 speak to her or him and and get a sense: is this person going to pay attention to me as a whole person? Well, also just one other piece: the the labs and the tests and the diagnostic tests. Those are the tools that allopaths are given in order to diagnose, in order to yeah. manage the case, more so yes. than the listening and the talking and the asking questions and the rapport building. Right. Um, but unfortunately, uh, along those same lines, the host of medical problems that bring you to a doctor's attention, um, you know, can can be uh, can be vague. They can be. Uh, ne diagnosed necessarily by testing and, and not always by history. So, you know, the most recent blog I wrote for your publication talks about a loss of the diagnostic skill and the index of suspicion, it's called, that, that doctors of my father's generation had where they actually talked to you and looked at you and in many cases picked up like a detective clues from you 
that are norm not normally picked up today. You know, a good doctor is really a good detective. Uh, and that's why part of doctoring can be so much fun. Because it's not only the way you look, the way you carry yourself, the way you shake hands, the way you appear. It's also, in, it's also crazy things that you'd never think about. The way you smell, what your breath smells like. Um, you know, doctoring can be down and dirty uh, in the old days because they didn't have the diagnostic testing that they have now. And I'm, I'm afraid that physical diagnosis is, is becoming a lost art. Yes. It is. So, which is, yep. hence our conversation. So, you know, again, this was just a brief little chat, but I thought it really important that people understand when their doctor walks in the room, if they're a medical doctor, they've been trained through the allopathic medical system, that they are looking at the pieces and the parts. They're relying on lab tests. And what you want to do, as you said, David, is to find a doctor who actually talks to you as a person, who you build rapport with, who think, looks, looks to practice and, and look beyond just those lab numbers. Right. And you know, this might be a tip that's anecdotal, but I think it's going to bear fruit for your listeners. You know, it, it seems to me that doctors of an older generation, maybe doctors in their 60s and early 70s, if they're still practicing, they may have that extra edge of listening and physical diagnosis that the younger doctors don't have. So there are pluses and minuses to everything. The younger doctor may be more versed in the most recent diagnostic and therapeutic uh, things that have come along uh, because of their more recent training. But, you know, sometimes it's great to talk to a woman or male physician who's 65 or 68 or 70, who's been doing it a long time. And there is something to being an old timer. Well, I experience that every day in business. <laughs> there are things I don't know about, you know, the technology world, but there are things that, you know, the, the beauty of wisdom. We actually had a great podcast with an Alzheimer's doctor, a geriatrician, about the wisdom as we age. Um, hey, sure. One other important thing that occurs to me regarding this, doctors now, I think it's a positive thing that they're more open now to understanding the connection between lifestyle and disease and open to understanding or talking about supplements and nutrition. And many of them are going to what I'll call weekend seminars. So they're talking about it, but they still don't, they didn't, they're still not getting educated in it. And I think doctor, that p most patients should understand that the doctors might ask about supplements, but most of them really don't fully understand them. You're right. And I am ashamed to say that when I was in school, we, we were <laughs> never really taught about nutrition, prevention, exercise. We were, talk about, we were taught, taught the allopathic way. You, you got a disease. You give this medicine or this treatment, and you move on. And it's a, it's a terrible thing. I mean, I can speak from personal experience. When I was a less informed person in my days of not eating well, my cholesterol had jumped to 240. And um, my HDL, my good cholesterol, wasn't very good. And, you know, I was eating not well in those days and not taking care of myself and not following my own prescription. And, you know, today... I would have gone to a doctor's office and many times the first thing they'd say other than, well, if you're not going to lose weight and exercise, here's your Zocor, right? right. Totally. Well, well, you know, when I started to focus on losing weight and exercising and actually taking as something as simple as garlic, well, my next cholesterol reading when I lost 25 pounds was 180. So, and my HDL was a whopping 80, which was, you know, fantastic. So. It's so easy to walk into a doctor's office and come out with a prescription 
then really do the, the harder work of taking care of yourself. And indeed, a lot of studies have shown is that patients don't feel it was a successful and complete office visit unless they come away with a prescription. Well, that's a whole other, again, we keep coming up with all, all these new things we need to talk about another day. Because yes, yes, I think patients have been trained now to be in a pill-centric, prescription-centric, got a problem, fix it with a pill, gee, I wonder why our kids are doing the same thing, society. Yes, true. That's another day, another discussion. Thank you, David Shear. Always great to talk to you. You too. Thank you. I'm talking to leading anesthesiologist and patient advocate, Dr. David Shear. Healthcare only gets more complicated, especially for hospitalized patients. That's why Dr. Shear does all he can to help people understand the ins and outs of the healthcare system, including what they can do to help themselves in the process. Dr. Shear is just one of the many leading experts who share their wisdom in America's most empowering newsletter, Bottom Line Personal. Twice each month, readers get actionable insider advice on all aspects of life, including living a healthy life, travel, insurance, home maintenance, retirement planning, smart tax strategies, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 40 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP.